Hey, coconuts, recently there's been a lot of talk about inflation, 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 right? Everyone's talking about it. Big media, small media, social media, government companies, financial companies, whatever. Everyone's talking about it. Maybe the auntie downstairs also talking, wow, very expensive now. Uh. Inflation, everything inflate. Uh. <laughs> but yes, it is a lot more dynamic and complicated. There are many angles to look at this thing. How will it affect us? I think that's the main idea that nobody is talking about. A lot of people are talking about like how to keep rates low and how will it affect investments. But hey, come on, your life is not just investments. So today I'm going to attempt to share with you a more rounded way of looking at inflation and how do we manage this inflation risk going ahead. 日本人はこのように言うと、日本人はこのように言うと、日本人はこのように言うと、日本人はこのように言うと、日本人はこのように言うと、日本人はこのように言うと、日本人はこのように言うと、日本人はこのように言うと、日本人はこのように言うと、日
by Ray Dalio. Okay, 25 million views. It's been eight years since the video went out into public. So yes, check the video out. I think it's a great video to begin your preliminary understanding of how the economy works. So in his frame of discussion, the economy is essentially a summation of all the transactions that are happening out there, right? And all these transactions will then be denoted as GDP, Gross Domestic Product, okay? So we are not here to talk about GDP today, but I think what is important for a lot of us to recognize is that total transactions can actually be broken down into velocity times volume. Velocity of money being transacted in the market and the volume of money out there. Okay, this is important. Which is why when the velocity of money slows down, uh, like during the pandemic, people spend less, the uncertainty is making companies wary on the fence, they don't know what to do, investors are cautious. Right? So when the velocity comes down, central banks and governments will try to push up the volume, right? the money supply. Right? So they want more money in the market to make up for the slower transactions so that they can keep the total transactions more or less consistent. In other words, trying to keep GDP consistent. Okay, so which is why this is important when the World Bank try to get a country to cut their spending, it's directly going to affect their GDP. Okay, because they have lesser transactions in the market, their economy is going to shrink. Right, so it's not exactly very helpful huh, when the World Bank sets a lot of these kind of regulations to say, oh yeah, we can lend you money, but you must spend less, you must cut fiscal. Right? So all these terms and ideas, I'm sure you've heard it somewhere here and there, and I hope that this kind of puts all the ideas together. When velocity slows, volume needs to go up to keep transactions, total transactions consistent. Okay? Which is why a lot of people, when they talk about, oh, you know, uh, we're spending too much, we're printing too much money, blah, 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 blah. Um, it's a bit iffy. I don't dare to take a position on this thing. But yeah, you kind of get, get it, right? The lesser of two evil. If velocity shrinks a lot and the volume stays consistent, does not, it does not change. We don't, we don't release money supply. Then total transition is going to come down. GDP is going to shrink like crazy and it's going to affect asset prices. It's going to affect unemployment. It's going to affect a lot of all these other things uh, that will leave the economy in shambles. And this is the modern day of the financial economy. So yes, once again, I plugged Dalio's video or Ray's video. Yeah, my good friend Ray. How the economic machine works. Okay, check out on YouTube. Also, if you want to double down and be even geekier, right? You should check out MIT's open source uh programs, right? So they have MIT Economics, just search on YouTube, MIT Economics, and they want even more detail, right? Step by step, they try to explain to you. And the professor there explicitly says that economists cannot, you know, uh, fundamentally give you very accurate prediction, but it's quite close already. Okay, so, so please go and check some of those videos out, and I hope uh, it makes you a little bit uh, more understanding of what is going on. But yes, when we're talking about inflation risk or mitigating inflation risk, instead of seeing it as a one big bubble inflation, a one number out there, I want us to kind of break it down into three buckets, which I've talked about previously in uh, my review of the pandemic. So the three buckets are goods, services, and assets. Yes, it's a very big bucket. <laughs> it's a very big generalization. And it's just here to help us understand better what's going on. It's not specific. Okay, so goods, services, and assets. When you see them in these three buckets, you start to question like, how do they work? How do prices of these three things work? When do they inflate? When do they deflate? Right? So with, with this segregation, it gives you a better grasp of the situation rather than, oh, 2%, 5%, 10%. You know, it's like, what the hell are you saying? Right? So, 
And with that, we're going to talk about some of the major reasons why some of these buckets move. It can be a causality, it can be a correlation, you know, it's a bit iffy here. But either way, there are some proven ideas as to why these different buckets move in prices and they inflate. And with that, how do you then mitigate the risk? And we're going to start number one, goods. So I think the main reason why goods inflate or massively inflate because people are okay with like small inflation, 1%, you know, 1.5, 2%. Over time, it is okay. Inflation inherently is not a problem. Okay, it's just a phenomenon. But when inflation rise massively and very quickly, uh, a lot of social problems will happen. So goods. One of the biggest reasons why goods inflate or massively inflate is when the home currency collapse. I am currently in Turkey, right? So currently in Turkey, I am seeing the lira collapse, right? So from the day I came to where I am now, today recording in January, the lira has came down by 25%, right? And I literally see people, um, the shop owners, they, they change their prices. Milk prices were, were changing. It was 8 lira, now it's 10 lira. Right? But, but to me, because I hold external currency, it does not affect me. You get the idea? If this is my home currency, jalat, a lot of problems. Which is why the biggest solution for this is to hold a basket of currencies or hold multiple currencies, at least the ones that are more stable and what we call hard currencies. And the market today, there are few hard currencies. The US dollar, euro, yen, I think RMB can be considered a hard currency. I'm a big China bull. Um, yeah, some of these currencies. Of course, the Swiss franc, you know, you want to be all nitty-gritty and all. But the idea here is instead of holding a soft home currency, you can consider holding a basket of currencies to mitigate the potential crash of your home currency. But I would say for all of us, if your home currency is already holding a basket of currencies and it has a lot of reserves to mitigate currency fluctuation, then you're in a very good position, aka the Singapore dollar. Singapore dollar is very strong with the amount of reserves relative to the total money supply. Okay, this, get, this gets a little bit technical, but you can go and read up on what is called M2. M2 is essentially the total amount of money in the market, right? So... Um, total amount of Sing dollars in the market held in savings, held in investments, held in different currency, foreign reserves, or what have you, right? So essentially that is M2. And usually the bigger the size of the M2, the bigger the economy because essentially like what we have talked about in front, total number of transactions is velocity times volume, right? So volume essentially is what M2 is trying to measure. Okay, the total amount of money out there. So the bigger the economy, it tends to be that volume is quite high. But of course, Singapore is a small economy relative to you know China, which has a total M2 size. <laughs> Wait for it, huh? $236 trillion RMB. That's the M2 of China during the time of recording. Okay, so Singapore is very small, you know, by the economic size. But what is interesting is the proportion to the reserves. Right, so Singapore has $730 billion in M2. Reserves is $480 billion, which are held in foreign currencies like US dollar, euro, yen, RMB, and all that. So I know it's a bit hard to imagine these days about, you know, why, why, why got all these foreign currencies? Like, you know, what, what's happening? Because we just Taobao, right? We just buy online or we just shop. And Visa, Master, and all these digital payment companies, PayPal, you know, Wise, whatever, they make it so simple and so digitalized that you don't even feel like 
you know, there's this currency exchange going around. But let me try to wind you back a little bit, you know, in ancient China, right? When, when, when your ancestors uh, or ancient India, your ancestors, they come here to Singapore and they want to exchange. They want to work here in Singapore and they want to buy something. They want to trade, right? So they bring something from China. They come here, they want to trade. Say they bring their kamchai, okay? They bring their salted vegetables. They come all the way here. I don't know why they bring salted vegetables. But anyway, in the past, they used to trade tea and silk and all those things, okay? But yes, let's say, uh, got this weird guy want to bring the salted vegetable from China, come to Singapore to trade. What do you think they can get in exchange? When they trade in the Singapore economy, they get the Singapore dollar or banana notes uh, during the Japanese time. And what happens with these banana notes? Can these banana notes be used back in China where they come from? Cannot. So they have to go to a money changer or they have to go to some sort of currency exchange to change the RMB to bring back to spend in China. And this is what the currency exchange really exists for at that point in time. Right? And all these middle people trying to you know, help you change currency here and there, right? they charge you essentially the gas fees. Lah, so they make the difference. Right? But today, of course, it's very hard to imagine because everything is so systematic and so automated, so lean that you don't vividly feel the exchange. So your currency can only operate in your economy. If you want to go into another economy, you have to change. Which is why if your home currency collapses, that means your own currency devalues and becomes useless, it's going to be very hard for you to trade with other people because people don't want your currencies. You know, and for me to sell you something in your home currency, I want to charge a premium. You know, so there are, there are many ways to look at this thing. But at the core, if your home currency drops, it is going to directly affect the prices of goods in where you're living, right? Where, which is your home. Okay, so of course, I want to uh, reiterate that different governments will have different economic policies. Some government actually wants to devalue their currency so that they can sell more, right? Because maybe they're export-driven. Some governments want to inflate their currency because they want to, you know, they, they are import-driven economy. They want to buy more goods, right? So that one, we're not here to discuss today. You just need to know that different governments will have different economic goals and different economic strategies that they participate in, okay? But the very premise is if the government does not have sufficient reserves, foreign currency reserves, relative to the size of their money market, which is M2, it will make their currency relatively volatile, right? It's unsafe, right? Because they don't have reserves to, you know, play around in the exchange rate to make sure the exchange rate stays consistent, Right? So I want you to remember this and also remember that one of the biggest cause of goods inflation is when your home currency collapses. So hold a basket of currencies or you know, make sure your home currency has the ability to mitigate that risk and fluctuation. Which brings me to point number two, and that is services, right? This is the second bucket. And services really move relative to median income. Right? And we will talk a little bit more afterward from our sponsor. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, services are relatively unaffected by international currency movement. 
Okay, unless they are exported services, uh, like like interest rates, like loans, like business services, accounting services, you know, those our universities, right? So some of those services may be affected because they have more international exposure. But a lot of the services like your gyms, la, your haircut, la, you know, your janitor, la, your homekeeper, la, what, what have you, right? So some of the more localized services that we do not export, their prices are very much tied to median income. Right, which is why if you go to one pole, you still can get you still can get five dollar haircut, thirty dollar massage. Shout out to our Wampo friends. A big fan, a big fan. I love to go to Wampo. Previously, I was staying in Serangoon, right? So I always go to Wampo. Wow, very nice. Oh, this place, a bit stuck in the past. But yes, okay, the, the goal here is to help us understand that services, the price of services, they inflate in tandem with median income. Right, which is why in areas where median income are higher, the same services are much higher, like Orchard Road, right? You go and cut hair, you know, what have you, it's more expensive than if you're in Tampanese or let's say Wampo, uh, a good friend Wampo. Uh. But yes, so that is the idea here that you need to recognize that as long as, so the mitigating strategy is quite simple, right? As long as your median income growth is aligned with the country's median income growth or the city or the town that you're in, as long as your growth of your own income is aligned with the median income growth, then you are fine. You will more or less not face much services inflation risk. And I think this is something that all of us should recognize. Too often, we just look at ourselves, we look at our previous wage, we, we try to sense the market value of our, of our labor, and then we price ourselves like that. Right, when the company tells us, oh, okay, uh, this year increment is 2%, 3%, 5%, you know, we only feel like, huh, not a lot, leh. Huh, wow, not bad, huh? you know, like, you know, but we don't really have a very strategic idea of like, what is a fair, you know, or at least what is a good, you know, wage increment so that we can continue to live the life that we want to live. And so this is one of the core benchmarks that directly affects the price of services, okay? Especially the services that we cannot export. And I want to point out specifically that recent data that came out, okay, from the government is that we have a 3.2% increase of median income in 2021. And assuming this 3.2% continue to stay intact, we will eventually uh, reach a 6,000 median income, uh, over the course of the next decade or, ev or even shorter. In other words, I want you to recognize that if your income growth is not 3.2% or more, then the services are going to catch up to you. You will be like, wow, why this thing is so expensive? All right, so please go ahead and make sure that your income growth is 3.2%. I know the team is going to come to me, hey, then our income also need to grow, ma. <laughs> but yes, I know, I get it, right? So... I think this is uh, something for us to recognize that it is not always just about you yourself. Like, oh, what can I do? Value, productivity, blah, 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 blah. Not, 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 not just that. Whether can you grow in tandem with the broader economy will directly affect your quality of life. So please go and check that your wage growth is in tandem with median wage growth. If not, you've got to think of how to go about doing this, okay? Which brings me to the third bucket, which is assets, right? And I think... Assets inflation risk is not that big a problem. <laughs> People don't really care that this is a problem, right? Because uh, to them, you are invested, your assets grow, that is good. Yeah, yeah. So to a lot of people, this is not a risk. But I just want to point out that in a environment that we are in like now, where there's a lot of liquidity, interest rates are very low, M2 is very high, a lot of money slushing around in the market, uh, there is a high tendency for 
assets to inflate, right? And you see it, you see it in the market. But with the news of like, oh, we're going to cut down on this home money supply, we're going to cut down on liquidity, um, you, see, you see some of these asset prices coming down also, right? So it's, it's, there is definitely some people that hold for the longer term, but there's a big part of the market that is slushing in and out of different asset class. And with that, uh, it's about your price law, what price you pay, right? And in today's price, it's definitely quite a premium uh, relative to a lot of what the fundamentalists believe. Okay, so at the core, what I want to reiterate is that depending on your investment goals, depending on your investment strategies, there are different ways to play this thing. And just so happen that inflation is quite a positive for assets, okay? At least from a personal level. But from a social level, it's quite problematic because it further exacerbates the have and the have-nots, social tension and all that stuff, which you are seeing, right? I mean, if let me just like, <laughs> let's just put it out there that there are like so many million dollar HDB today and the government is stepping up with new regulations to curb the market, which is making it harder for newer entrants to come in. You know, so, so there's a lot of all these social tensions that come along uh, with asset inflation, especially at a very high rate. So yes, in closing, I think what is important is to recognize that inflation or deflation, they are phenomenon, they are not exactly problematic if they take time to happen, right? So over time, it is okay. So 1%, 2% a year or negative 1% to 2% a year. It's okay. People will, will work around some of these things. They will find a way to go about. It's when there's a sudden surge or, you know, when it compounds over time and you suddenly be like, huh? Wow, what's happening? And all these things start to become a big problem in your life. So Today, we've covered quite a repertoire of topics and I'm going to reiterate. Number one is goods inflation. So goods go massively crazy in their inflation pressure when the home currency collapses, right? Especially in a highly globalized economy where people trade international currency, risk is a big problem. So if your home currency collapse, it's going to affect, directly affect the prices of goods in where you live. So hold a basket of currencies or at least make sure that your currency that you're living in, Singapore, Malaysia, Taiwan, whatever you, have a big enough reserves relative to the M2 so that they can protect you. They can protect your home currency if let's say there are all these fluctuations happening out there. Point number two is that services grow relative to the median income growth rate. So just make sure that your income growth rate is alongside the median income growth rate, then you are more or less okay. Okay, so if you are always going to the barber and your, it, will, it will not suddenly become going to a salon uh, or if you every time go to Anytime Fitness, you will not suddenly go to like Virgin Fitness, okay? But the idea here is as long as your income growth rate is alongside or same as the median income growth rate, then the services that you are familiar and used to will not be a scary thing to you, right? You will not be priced out of it. And it's very easy to search. Just go to SingStats. They have all the information there of all the different median income growth rate over the past decade. Okay, and point number three is assets, right? So to a lot of people, asset inflation risk is not a problem because that's exactly why people invest so that they can inflate together, right? So they want to see their asset prices go up. But I just want to reiterate that in today's climate, there is a very big tendency that asset prices are up because of high liquidity. So in this, in this situation, your biggest risk is if you pay too much, right? So the price you pay matters, the strategy that you adopt matters. Understand what you're doing, understand what you're investing, and eventually, I hope your strategy plays out. With that, I hope you learned something useful today. See ya! Hey! 
I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community telegram group, follow us on our social, sign up for our weekly newsletter. We are doing a weekly newsletter reboot. We are going to have a lot of information within the newsletter. Everything is in the description below. And if you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. Also, if you have any interesting thoughts you want to share or you know someone that we would like to hear from, reach out to us through hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead. Stay tuned next week and always remember, personal finance can be chill, clear and sustainable for all. Okay, so yes, uh, I know we covered quite a repertoire of topics. I try to squeeze everything in um, because, yeah, like I said, I want us to recognize that inflation happens in different, different things and uh, we try to break them down and understand them in different buckets, right? And uh, with that, you get a clearer idea how to mitigate some of these inflation risks. Singapore is relatively fine, I would say. Inflation is not a very big problem. But if your income growth rate is not the same as the... The median income growth, then uh, you see the problem. And I think that is the problem that uh, a lot of people are facing. Because if the median income growth is growing at 3.2% and you are only growing at 2% and you think it's okay, man, 2% wage growth, but compounded over an extended period of time, the difference is huge. Okay, so uh, recognize that that's something that I think we all can do track our income growth rate relative to median income. And uh, yeah, hustle a little bit uh, and try to like <laughs> flex and, and get, get the growth rate that we want. Okay, so that's it for today. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about compounding effect because I think a lot of people are talking about compounding, compounding, compounding and I want to be able to put out some thoughts about compounding. It's a lot more sophisticated than you would like to believe and yeah, we will chat more next week. Take care.